You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thanks for tuning in. If you've got any questions for me, you can always go to my website, NowhereToRunRadio.com, and hit the contact button, and you can get me through there, or email me directly at NowhereToRun1984 at gmail.com. So, what I'm going to do with this episode is play about a about 38-minute clip of the first session I'll be doing in Africa. This is about evangelism. I'll actually be doing two separate sessions on evangelism. And, I mean, it's just so awesome to have a reason to do all this research about a topic like evangelism or discipleship or leadership. And ultimately, what my plan is, is to take all these and to redo them, make them into movies, and have them like as a package that people can use. I mean, you'll notice some of this is sort of Africa-specific, but with just a little bit of modification, I think this could be a really helpful thing for people about evangelism. I think you you can get a lot of, out of this if you're not even wanting to learn about evangelism. I think there's just a lot of good stuff. In fact, the second session of evangelism is something that I wanted to do forever, which is to do just a huge study of the gospel, just all the different aspects of it, and give out just references and references for people to do study on their own, because it's just such a huge thing, and I make a big point about it in this um, session, as you'll see as well. But first, I want to play the audio from two videos that I just got done with about Africa and different aspects of what I'm going to be doing there. Uh, first is something that I've mentioned a lot here on the show, which is the cell phone projects. I put it all together in one little piece, uh, an explanation of what I'll be doing there, mostly for missionaries to um, hear what I'm doing and to get similar ideas. As I explained in the video, I do think this could be a really, really big thing. And thankfully, some of the missionaries and uh, ministries that I've mentioned in the in the video here have already been posting this around in some of these uh, places that I mentioned in the video. So I'm pretty excited about that, and I do hope it uh, it gets out there and people start to um, to use some of the ideas that are in there. And then the second video is explaining an aspect of the trip that I don't think I've even explained yet on here, which is about the environmental stuff that I'll be doing around Lake Victoria. And I explain all about it in the video, so I'll just play these two clips real quick. Hey everyone, I wanted to make this short video to explain a bit more of the technical details of the cell phone project that I've been working on for my upcoming trip to Africa, because I think that the technology and the methods that I'll be using would be interesting to other missionaries and people that organize various mission trips. The basic idea is that, just like in the Western world, the developing nations have also undergone what can surely be called a cell phone revolution. We know that almost every adult Westerner carries around a cell phone, but we may have missed the fact that in places like India and Africa, the same thing is happening, where despite the average income being a dollar a day in some places, mobile phones are cheap enough that even the relatively poor can own one. In fact, 50% of the adult population in Africa do, over 600 million people. And a recent study showed that 80% of the people have some access to one. So this presents a pretty amazing opportunity for missionaries and missions in general in these developing nations, especially with simple things like scripture distribution. Bibles are always in short supply in places like Africa and India, especially ones in their native language, places where there's a lot of different dialects. 
for example, 240 out of the 400 plus pastors that I'll be talking to in Kenya do not have Bibles in their own language. So you can imagine that if the pastors don't have one, that their congregation members most likely don't either. So this problem can be solved by getting these Bibles onto the cell phones that they already have. For example, out of the 400 pastors, almost all of them have a cell phone. I think the number was 20 of them uh, might not have cell phones. The reason this is important is because these Bibles can be transferred phone to phone using Bluetooth file transfer, which is available on even the oldest phones. So the cost of Bible distribution is no longer an issue. It can spread from these pastors' conferences to their congregations via Bluetooth, to their friends, and on and on. So if one of their friends, say, becomes a Christian, they can zap them a cell phone Bible in their heart language right there on the spot with no cost. So in regard to the specifics of the projects that I'll be working on in Africa with cell phones, the first is the Bible project. It should be noted first that in the developing world, most of the mobile phones are not smartphones. And there's really not an expectation of that changing a whole lot in the next few years. What this means is that software-developing missionaries need to be developing Bibles and things for the oldest phones that have the least memory, usually Java-based phones like Nokia. For example, Nokia is by far the leading cell phone provider in Africa. So there is a small but growing group of sort of techie missionaries that have realized the implications of this and have formed a network online to develop Bibles for these phones. Crosswire is now heading up the Go Bible Project, which is doing just that. I'll be using their Swahili Bible as well as their English Bible, and I'm actually working with Biblica to develop, hopefully, a Luo Bible, uh, which is a dialect in Western Africa, before I go. The other project I'm working on is a cell phone concordance project. This one's really important to me because of the lack of Bible reference material uh, available for pastors in developing countries. Not only could I find no concordance available in Swahili, let alone any of the other major languages in Africa, even if I could find such a resource, the cost of providing a concordance, a hard copy, to these pastors would just be astronomical. But thanks to mobileministrymagazine.com, which has kind of become a hub for all these technical-minded missionaries, um, a guy there named Antoine Wright uh, introduced me to a guy named Alex Kerr, who runs a website called phonepublish.org. What Phone Publish is doing is developing software for people like me to create content for the oldest phones with the least amount of memory. So it's a, it's helping, it's software that develops software, basically. So Alex is helping me to develop a cell phone concordance that requires no translation. Um, I say it requires no translation because it's something called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, which, first of all, is widely considered to be one of the best Bible concordances and cross-reference guides, trumping even Strong's in a lot of people's minds. The reason it requires no translation is because it mainly consists of cross-references. So that's really the beauty of the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, especially for this project, because anybody from any language or dialect can fully use it and understand it. So I'm pretty excited about this because I do think this particular resource would give a pastor the ability to take his uh, study of the Bible to the next level, even a scholarly level. So the dilemma that I had at this point was how am I going to get this information to people's cell phones, particularly the pastor's conference where I personally would have to install this on 400 plus phones. This logistical issue 
I believe, is solved by using a Bluetooth proximity marketing device. These are used in the UK and in Asia to send coupons and music or video files to people when they walk by a particular storefront. But the cool thing is, is that these devices can transfer any type of file. So what they do is they automatically search out cell phones with the Bluetooth capability turned on. And almost every cell phone has Bluetooth capability. They just need to turn it on. And once it finds one, it asks them if they want to receive the file. And if they agree, it will send them, in this case, the Bible or concordance. And what these devices typically do is is transfer about 20 or 30 at a time. And once those are completed, it moves on and searches out others and then begins the process all over again. So I really believe this will solve my logistical problem, but while considering this, I think that this would also be useful for missionaries in places where the Bible is illegal, because Bluetooth proximity marketing devices are getting smaller and more portable. So you can put one of these things in your pocket, and you can program it to distribute Arabic Bibles, for example, and walk through a crowded market. The beauty is, is that only the people that want an Arabic Bible will get it because it's opt-in. So you can program it to ask them in Arabic, do you want to download a free Arabic Bible to your phone? And if they do, they can do this secretly, without fear of being caught buying or reading it. Now, in areas where smartphones are widely used, the opportunity for this type of missions work only gets better, because smartphones have more hard drive space, and they also have Wi-Fi capability. So what you can do is make use of these new hard drives that double as Wi-Fi hotspots. So what you do is you load these hard drives up with all kinds of stuff, you know, audio Bibles, regular Bibles, videos, all in the local language. And you put this thing in the center of the room at a pastor's conference or whatever, and everyone can then turn on their Wi-Fi and begin to download all this stuff without any data charges. So I think this could revolutionize short-term missions for sure because you can spend the time in preparation gathering content or producing content. Perhaps uh, the faith comes by hearing audio Bibles in a particular dialect or the Jesus film in a particular dialect or certain small clips that can be shared via Bluetooth for evangelism purposes. The opportunities for this are really endless and I think can be really effective for missionaries who start to utilize these new tools. I'll provide some links in the description section to the items and organizations and websites that I mentioned in this video. Also, if you'd like to donate to my two-month Africa mission trip in June of 2012, any help is greatly needed and appreciated, and it's totally tax-deductible. Okay, thanks for your time. Bye-bye. One area of my upcoming trip to Kenya that I have not mentioned too much about yet is the work that I'll be doing with an excellent ministry called SEEK. Don and Nancy Richards of SEEK are missionaries in Africa and do a very unique ministry. They're friends of our local church, and I'll actually be staying with them for at least half of the two months that I'm in Kenya. I plan on doing several projects with them, mostly educational film projects in local dialects that can be shown on projectors about the issues that they deal with. The following is a short video I put together about SEEK. Suba Environmental Education of Kenya, or SEEK. The Nyanza province has the highest HIV AIDS prevalence rate in Kenya. The child mortality rate is 206 deaths per 1,000 births. It has the lowest life expectancy rate in Kenya, which is 46 years, and it is the poorest province in Kenya. In the greater Suba district, the HIV AIDS prevalence is 26%. One-fourth of its 210,000 people are orphaned children. 
the life expectancy is only 37 years and the rate of unemployment is 40%. This is compounded by the fact that because of pollution and poor fishing practices, Lake Victoria, the source of much of the area's food, water and jobs, could be completely depleted of fish as early as 2014, experts warn. This would be catastrophic to an area already in great need. Seek is led by Don and Nancy Richards. Don is a former game warden and native of South Africa. His team provides education for Kenyans on the science behind biosystems that will bring positive change to both the environment and community. One such example of the training provided by Seek is a multi-story garden. This biosystem takes up very little space near a home but will adequately supply vegetables for the family. Other examples of tools that will help with health, poverty and hunger are solar cookers which eliminate the need for charcoal which is the primary cause of deforestation in the area or sun stoves or composting toilets to only name a few. Tippy taps are a simple example of the resourceful style that Seek uses to help families in the surrounding areas with no running water. A 2.5 liter plastic container is configured with minimal supplies to serve as an adequate hand washing source. In addition to providing the surrounding communities with education and tools to better health, hunger and local ecosystems in the Lake Victoria area, this faith-based organization provides camps for children, stressing God's love, an individual's worth, and an individual's responsibility to both the environment and oneself. In beautiful art form, the Children's Museum displays imagery of the world while stressing personal responsibility for the care of God's creation. This sense of personal responsibility is also applied to sanitation practices that will both keep the child healthy and help prevent the spread of disease. Okay, so here is the session on evangelism that I was talking about. It's about 37, 38 minutes long, and I really hope you get a lot out of it. The word gospel in the Greek language means good news. The word evangelism in the Greek language means to preach the good news. So evangelism is simply to clearly explain the gospel to people. Let's start by turning to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. If we tell people this very specific message, then he will cover this message with his power, and people will be saved because this message was proclaimed. This is the message that the Lord asks us to proclaim just before he ascended into heaven. We see in Mark 16, verse 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. This means that the most important question that we could ask is, What is the gospel? I'll give you one way to answer this question. The good news, or the gospel, is that the one and only God, who is holy, made us in his image to know him. But we sinned and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself, and taking on himself the punishment for all sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been satisfied. He now calls us to repent for our sins and trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. 
If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. What I just said has many parts to it. Each part of the gospel message is something that you could preach 10,000 sermons on and never run out of things to say. For example, the first sentence was, The one and only God, who is holy, made us in his image to know him. The fact that there is one and only one God is very important. Another thing I said is that God is holy. The holiness of God is very important to the gospel. Because God is holy, he must punish sin. And because he is holy, our rejection of him is made even more sinful. We could preach a million sermons on the holiness of God, and we would still not say all that could be said about that topic. I could talk about the love of God for another million sermons. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Or the wrath of God. This is also a very important part of the gospel. There are other questions, for example, like why did God have to become a man in order to save people? Why did Christ have to die for our sins? Why did he have to live a sinless life? What is repentance? How does him rising from the dead matter? You don't need to know all the answers to these questions in order to be saved. You don't need to know all these answers to do evangelism either. I'm sure many of you know the answers to these questions I just asked, but I also know that all of us need to learn more about the gospel. The gospel is not something that you learn in five minutes and then move on to more important doctrines. The gospel is something that you can continue to learn forever. I personally believe that we can spend an eternity in heaven with Christ and still not learn all there is to know about what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. We will spend eternity learning of the grace of God through the gospel. Yes, it is true that we all know enough of the gospel right now to do evangelism, but we also need to learn more about the gospel. Being an evangelist is like being a doctor. A doctor goes to school, and he learns about the body. After he finishes school, we go to him when we're sick, and he knows what's wrong with our bodies. But he will never know all there is to know about the human body. The body is very complicated. Usually a doctor only specializes in one part of the body. Some doctors only know about the feet or the teeth. But if he wants to be a better doctor, he will study and learn more every day. It's just like evangelists. If we learn all the aspects of the gospel, we will become more effective evangelists. We need to become experts on God's plan to save people who have rebelled from him. Because this message that God has chosen can be explained in many ways, depending on the situation. We should be able to explain it to a child or to a professor at a university. We should be able to tell the cults why they are teaching a false gospel. We will do this by becoming experts in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testaments. It is not good enough to repeat the words of the gospel if people don't understand it. They need to understand in their minds the plan that God has made to save sinners. In America, before I was saved, I had heard the gospel many times. I had been to many churches, and I had heard them say that Jesus died for my sins. What they were saying was true. He did die for my sins. But these were only words to me. I did not know why that was good news to me. I remember asking Christians the question, why did Jesus have to die for my sins? And 
how did his death pay for my sins? It was many years later, even after I was saved, that I finally understood these answers. I am not saying that people need to understand all these things before they are saved. I don't think that they do. God saves people sometimes with very little theological understanding. I am simply saying that if we study the gospel, we will be better communicators of God's plan. We will see more people saved as a result. Evangelists need to be like translators. Our translator here knows English very well, and he also knows Swahili very well. He takes what I'm saying, and he tells it to you in a way that you understand in your minds. If he did not know English very well, you would not be able to understand me very well. I could be telling you that there was danger coming. I could be explaining to you the path we need to travel to avoid this danger. But if the translator only knew a little English, then you would not know the correct path to travel to avoid the danger. But because he knows English very well, he gives you a good understanding of my message. We need to take the plan of God with all its theology and make it easy to understand for people. If we want to become better evangelists, we must become experts in the gospel. The gospel message has the power to save sinners. We do not. I want you to see that in the Bible, evangelism was often in the form of teaching. Sometimes it was public teaching. Sometimes it was teaching one person only. But always they taught. Turn first to Luke 24, verse 44. This is one of the last things that the Lord said before he ascended into heaven. But before he left, he gave the apostles one last Bible study. Luke 24, starting in verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus gave these men understanding of the scriptures, and explained to them that the law was being fulfilled by Christ dying and rising again on the third day. They understood for the first time the good news of God's plan to save sinners. Let's turn to Acts 17, verse 2. Starting at verse 2, it says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. There are three words here to describe the way that Paul told them the gospel. It says he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, it says, he explained, and it says, he demonstrated. Sometimes the gospel can be preached in a very short time. Sometimes you need to work hard, like Paul did here for three days, to make sure people understand it. Here, Paul was talking to Jewish men, so his method for teaching was a little different than if he was talking to Gentiles. Turn to Acts 17, starting in verse 22. This is when Paul was speaking to Gentiles who did not know God or the Scriptures. His method for preaching the gospel to them was a little different. But notice that the message of the gospel did not change at all. Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, 
I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of you, your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Paul, when speaking to people who did not believe in God, spent almost the whole time telling them about who God was. He told them that there was a God who created the world and everything in it, that he created all people too, and that God is worthy of their worship. Then he tells them of the plan of God for their salvation through Jesus Christ. He did this in a way that they could understand because of their unique situation. Because he was so familiar with all aspects of God's plan, he could share this message in many ways. Philip is another example of this. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. Philip had been led by God to the wilderness where he saw a man reading a copy of the book of Isaiah. Acts 8, starting in verse 29, says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his injustice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Philip was an expert of the gospel. It says in verse 35 that he began at that scripture and preached Jesus to him. We should also be able to preach the gospel from the Old Testament alone. You don't have to know how to do this, of course, to be an evangelist. But my point is, is that there's much to know about the gospel. And the more that we know, the better we will be able to teach people, no matter what kind of opportunity God gives us to teach it. We become better evangelists not by learning clever ways to manipulate people. We become better evangelists by knowing the gospel and by preaching it clearly and correctly in every situation. We all would like the people in our churches to do more evangelism. The more you teach them about the gospel the more they will begin to tell their friends and family about it. They preach the gospel to people because it is the answer to their problems. When you see a person whose life has been destroyed by sin, they have compassion on them and they let them know that there is hope. Hope that they can be set free from the bondage of sin and that God has made a way for them to be restored. When you see a person who is in the bondage of a false religion, tell them, as it says in the book of Galatians, 
that if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. Obviously, you may need to explain to them what that verse means. The gospel really is good news. If it does not sound like good news, then it is not being preached correctly. The more your people realize how and why the gospel is good news to their friends, the more that they will want to share this message with them. We must become experts in the gospel, and we must train others to be experts in it as well. In the next segment, we will search the scriptures. We will answer questions like, Why did Jesus have to be sinless? Why did Jesus have to die? What does the holiness of God have to do with the gospel, or the love of God, or the justice of God? What exactly happened to Jesus on the cross, and how exactly did that reconcile us to God? Understanding these things better is the key to seeing more fruit in your evangelism. In this session, I will speak on some more practical things. Let's talk now about who should do evangelism. We know that all believers are called to share their faith, but we also know that there are some that are given the spiritual gift of evangelism. It's kind of like the gift of teaching. All Christians can teach in some way, but some have been given a spiritual gift to teach better than others. If someone in your church has the gift of evangelism, you should recognize that and encourage that gift, and train them to become better evangelists. When we talk about discipleship, I'll say that the best way to get your sheep to evangelize is to feed them good food. Healthy sheep reproduce themselves. If you feed them the pure milk of the word and make sure that they understand it, the love of God and the love of their neighbors will compel them to share this good news. That is the motivation for evangelism, the love of God. We want to see him glorified. And the love of people. We want them to be reconciled to God. There's another motivation for preaching the gospel that's a very good one, because the Lord commanded us to preach the gospel. We also must be obedient to the message that Jesus wanted us to preach. What exactly did Jesus say needed to be preached to all nations? Turn to Luke 24, verse 46. It says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance is the action that Jesus wants people to do if they believe in the gospel that was preached to them. In my country, many evangelists no longer preach repentance Many of them have not been obedient to what the Lord asks us to do here. You can see that the apostles that Jesus was speaking to here understood and obeyed Christ's command to tell people to repent. Let's turn to Acts chapter 3, verse 18. This is Peter, who is in the temple, and he has just finished explaining the gospel to them. In verse 18, he finishes his sermon this way. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he also so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Just as Jesus commanded him to do, he preached the gospel, and then told them to repent. Another example of this is in Acts 26, verse 19. This is when Paul is before King Agrippa. He is explaining what his message has been to people, the message that he is now on trial for. Let's start in verse 19. It says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, 
but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance. This is the response that people should have to hearing and believing the gospel. It's good to say a prayer and it's good to do all these other things we do today. But Jesus said that when the gospel is heard and believed, the people should repent, and then they will be converted and their sins blotted out. If they do not repent, this will not happen. Let's turn to Luke 13, verse 3. It says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Two verses later he says it again, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Please turn to Matthew chapter 4. This is where Jesus goes to preach his first sermon. We will read from verse 16. From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' first message was to repent. And as we've already seen in Luke 24:47, repentance was also his very last message. So what does repentance mean? The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia. The word has two parts. Meta means change, and noie means mind. So repentance means to change your mind. Well, what do we change our minds about? Let's turn to Acts 20, verse 20. This is when the Apostle Paul calls a pastor's conference. He is speaking to the Ephesian pastors. In verse 20, Paul begins to describe his life as an evangelist. This is how Paul described what his entire ministry was about. Acts 20, starting in verse 20, says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that people need to repent or change their minds about God. What kinds of things do we think about God that we need to change? Let's turn to Romans chapter 1 for the first thing, starting in verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. All people who are not saved are in rebellion against God. In some of them, this is more noticeable than others. One person may be in obvious sin. Another person may look perfectly normal. They may be a nice person. They may treat other people well. But although they know God, they glorify Him not as God. They want to be king of their lives. They want to sit on the throne of their lives. They do not want to serve God. They must change their minds about God and be willing to submit to His will. Maybe the devil has even deceived them into hating God. Maybe they think God is responsible for the evil in their lives. They must change their minds about God. They must repent as well as believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's look at another thing that people may think about God that they must change their minds about. Let's turn to Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works 
and faith toward God. Repentance of dead works. Changing our minds about our dead works. There are many religions in the world that believe that to please God, you need to do many works. Most of the world is in bondage to this false idea. They are weighed down because this is impossible to do. If someone believes that by following various laws, you can please God, they do not understand the gospel. That is why it says in Galatians 2.21 that if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. If you understand why Christ died, and if you truly understand what happened on the cross, you know that it is foolishness to think that your works can save you. You must repent from your dead works and believe in the gospel. The book of Galatians teaches us that if you still think that you need to do works of the law to be saved, then you believe a different gospel, a gospel that does not save. The same idea is said a few chapters later in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Repent from your efforts to save yourself and simply let yourself fall into the arms of the Lord. Repentance is something done in a person's mind, as well as a gift from God. You cannot change your heart. You cannot make yourself a new creation by your effort. God says that He will regenerate you. He will give you a new heart. But tells people to change their mind about Him, to repent, to decide to stop following their ways and the ways of the world, and to call Him their God and Master in their heart, and begin to walk towards Him and away from the world, He will begin to change your heart and cause you to love Him and hate sin. Some preachers in my country tell people that all they need to do is say a prayer to be saved. They are not told to repent, only to admit that they are a sinner. But that is not what the Bible says, and it is not enough to admit that you are a sinner. The devil would admit that he is a sinner. The demons believe the gospel, and it says in James that they tremble. If we are not teaching people to repent and believe the gospel, then we are not obeying Jesus' commandments about evangelism. I come from the southern part of the United States, where everyone thinks that they are Christian, even if they are the worst of sinners, and they don't care for Jesus Christ at all or his word, but they believe that they are saved. This is because about a hundred years ago, certain men started teaching that as long as you believe in Jesus and say a prayer, then you're saved. They stopped preaching that people should repent. It is true that many people are saved when they say the sinner's prayer. But it is not the prayer that saves them if they are saved. What saves them is that when they said the prayer, in their hearts they repented and believed the gospel. If they did not do that, then they could say the prayer a hundred times and still not be saved. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says the following, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Paul says that we need to examine ourselves to see if we are Christians. Are we seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit develop in our lives? Galatians 5:22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 
These fruits will begin to develop in your life if you are saved. If it has been many years since a person has professed to be a Christian, and they show none of these fruits, then it is very likely that they are not saved. There are other ways to examine ourselves to see if we are saved. Let's turn to the book of 1 John. Let's start in chapter 5, where John says why he has written this letter. In verse 13 it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John wants people to be sure of their salvation. The first way to tell if you're saved is right here in this verse. It says, if they continue to believe. Turn back to 1 John now, but this time go to chapter 2, verse 3. This is another way to test ourselves. It is the test of obedience. It says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If a person says that they're a Christian, and they are in consistent, unrepentant, habitual sin after many years, disobeying the word of the Lord, then John tells us that they are simply not saved. We know that this verse does not mean that a Christian will be without any sin at all. If you turn to chapter 1, verse 8, we will see that this is true. It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So a true Christian can sin. They can even somewhat stumble. But when a true Christian sins, it breaks their heart. And they learn from that sin. And it works godly sorrow in them, which leads to a changing of their mind about it. The Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves, just like you discipline your children. When your children do wrong things, you teach them that it is wrong, because you love your children and you want them to become good adults. If God is not disciplining you when you sin, then you should be worried. Another test is the test of love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Another way to test ourselves is the test of righteousness. 1 John 2:29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. It is also true that many times the Spirit itself gives us assurance of salvation. Romans 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I know that many times God gives us a deep understanding of our salvation in our spirit. But as pastors, we must be wise and look for fruits of the Spirit of God in people. When you read about the church in history, you will find that when a person professed faith in Christ, there was rejoicing in the church. But the pastors waited until the person began to show the fruit of that salvation before knowing for sure if that person was in fact saved. It has only been very recently that people started telling new converts that they were saved if they said the prayer. There is no evidence in all of church history of this being done until very recently. Billy Graham is probably one of the most famous American evangelists in history, and he knew that it was wrong to tell people that came forward in the meetings that they had been saved just because they said a prayer. He once said that he would be happy if 25% of the people that came forward were actually saved. It is good to have altar calls and to ask people to say prayers, like the sinner's prayer. Don't misunderstand me. 
That is all good. But there is nothing bad that can happen if you wait to see the fruits of salvation before becoming confident that a person is saved. This is how it has been done for almost all of Christian history. The fruit of the Spirit is what we look for. Are they broken over their sin? Are they becoming a new creation? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It does not say, if some men be in Christ, they are new creatures. It says, if any man be in Christ. This process can be slow or fast. We should not expect too much of our new believers. But everyone who is saved will eventually be changed. One preacher said, The gospel that does not change my life cannot save my soul. If the Spirit of Almighty God dwells in a person, it will be noticeable over time. As pastors, you need to look for the evidence of this Spirit in the lives of your people. Most of the problems in churches are caused by unsaved people who believe that they are saved. You need to find them, pray for them, and try to help them. I want to move on from this and to give you some practical ideas about evangelism. I know that you are all probably much better evangelists than me. I know that you're out doing great work in Africa. I want you to know that I do not have all the answers of how to do evangelism in Africa. You know the land. You know the people. You know the false teachings that are being taught. You know the hearts of the people. All I can do is give you advice that I think will help you become even better at what you are already doing well. The first advice I can give is to pray before, during, and after evangelism. In Matthew 9:37 through 38 Jesus asks us to pray that the Father would send workers for the harvest. We should also pray for compassion for the lost. The more we want to evangelize, the more we will evangelize. God will give you the desires of his heart for the lost if you consistently ask him for it. We should pray also for boldness to preach the gospel. For an example of this, if you would, turn to Ephesians 6, verse 18. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And as for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul prayed for boldness to preach the gospel. We need to pray also for opportunities to preach the gospel. God knows who is ready to hear his message of salvation. He is looking for willing servants to use in his work. We should not wonder why we don't have many opportunities if we are not asking God for them. We should be praying against Satan and demons, too. There are many ways that Satan tries to interfere with the gospel. It is especially important to pray for new believers. There are many different ways to do evangelism. Your sermons can have evangelism in them. But they should not only be about evangelism. We should be teaching them the word of God as well. We will talk more about preaching in the discipleship session. You can evangelize in your personal conversations, or street preaching, or handing out tracts, 
or setting up tents and preaching. These are all great methods. One area of evangelism that sometimes gets overlooked is refutations of false teachings. This can be a very fruitful activity. Many of the books in the Bible were written in response to false teachings. Colossians, Galatians, Hebrews, and many others. The earliest writings of the church are also refutations of heresies, like Irenaeus and Justin Martyr. Please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering long and, uh, and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Here we see that we can rebuke false teachings, and this can be a form of evangelism. In my ministry, I have seen many people come to know the Lord because of reputations of occult teachings. When people find out that they are being lied to about Jesus and the gospel by these false teachers, the Lord often uses it to bring them to salvation. We must be careful here not to fight about small areas of doctrine with other Christians. We must not spend our time refuting other preachers of the gospel, if they do preach the true gospel. For example, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. Paul says that where he is, people are preaching the gospel for many bad reasons, but he still does not care as long as they are preaching the gospel. Starting in verse 15, it says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the others of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So, if you're going to refute false teachings as a tool of evangelism, make sure you are refuting cults or other groups that lead people away from the gospel with deception. Also, we have apologetics. This is simply giving intelligent answers to difficult questions that people may have about Christianity. Apologetics is not evangelism itself, but sometimes you have to do apologetics before someone can even be ready to hear the gospel. I'm sure you know the questions that people ask around here. Your culture will have different questions. I would encourage you to make a list of at least five of the most common objections you hear about Christianity. And I would do a study of each of them. Maybe even write the study down so you can give it to someone to read if they ask about it. If you find that people are asking a question that you don't know the answer to, go find the answer. If you have to study the Bible, study. If you have to go ask a professional, go do it. Ask other pastors. Maybe they have already discovered the answer. The good thing about Christianity is that it's true. So, if the Bible says it, we know that if we research hard enough, we will find out that it was right. It's okay for people to ask questions, but remember to be humble and understanding when you answer them. Oftentimes, they're so surprised by the love that you have for them, they care more about that than they do about the answers to the questions. In conclusion, I want to encourage you. I have great faith in the pastors here. I believe that God will use you to reach Africa and the world. 
I think that in these very important days, God has great plans to use you in a mighty way. It will be dangerous for you. And as these days get darker, it will only become more dangerous. Kenya is a special place, and you have a special gift of love for your fellow brothers and sisters. You still believe in the power of God through His Holy Spirit. You can be a light for the entire world. I sincerely believe that the pastors in this room can change the world. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I have done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.